Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Elaine Spector, a patent attorney with Herity and Herity with over 20 years of experience in intellectual property law. Elaine's current practice consists primarily of prosecuting patent applications with a focus on electromechanical technologies. Prior to joining Herity and Herity, Elaine worked in private practice for over 15 years, handling various intellectual property matters, including patent application drafting and prosecution, trademark prosecution and enforcement, as well as litigating complex patent cases in federal courts. Elaine's extensive litigation experience provides her with a unique perspective in prosecuting patent applications. Most recently, Elaine worked in-house for six years at Johns Hopkins Technology Ventures, where she managed over 500 matters in medical and software-related technologies. As an avid believer in giving back, Elaine serves as a board member at No More Stolen Childhoods. She's also dedicated to improving diversity in the field of patent law through her numerous diversity leadership roles, including vice chair of the IPO Diversity Committee, chair of the IPO DNI Committee Outreach Subcommittee, several chair positions on the AIPLA Women in IP Law Committee, and co-chair of the Herity Diversity Committee. In addition, Elaine hosts Driving Diversity, a weekly vlog sharing diversity-related tips and frequently asked questions, as well as quarterly webinars in a series called Diversity Dialogue as part of Herity's Diversity Channel. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Elaine. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm really excited to have you here. And thank you so much again for taking part in the podcast So, Elaine, you've been a patent attorney in both the university tech transfer office and in law firms. Can you tell us about your career journey and what made you decide to go in-house at a tech transfer office and then return to a law firm? Sure. Uh, So uh, I started my career, gosh, I'm not going to say the year. Um, I guess I'll say the 90s. Oh, boy, I'm dating myself. And uh, I actually sat for the patent bar exam when I was a 2L. So I wanted to get some experience while I I was in law school. And so I worked for a small Bethesda firm doing searches at the patent office. So I would go, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the public search room back in Crystal City, but they had the shoes and I'd have to determine classes and subclasses from examiners, look in the shoes, you know, grab whatever shoes were relevant sift through the patent. So that's how I started my career. And um, when I graduated from law school, that Bethesda firm, which was uh, about five attorneys, um, I worked for them for about two years. Uh, That firm, and if you've ever worked for a really small IP firm, we did everything that came in the door. So I was doing litigation, prosecution, trademark prosecution, patent prosecution, writing applications. I'm doing everything. And What comes with a small firm experience is that because we were so limited in the number of attorneys that we had, we took responsibility and ownership as a a first-year associate. I was taking depositions. I was 
holding judges conferences. And um, it was nerve wracking because there was a lot of responsibility, uh, but it also provided me with the opportunity to get that kind of experience that a lot of people weren't getting at some of the bigger firms. And so after two years, I uh, shifted to a large IP boutique. Uh, it's no longer in existence, Burnstone, Swecker, and Mathis. Uh, they were acquired by Buchanan Ingersoll uh, in the early 2000s. But uh, from there, because of that small firm experience, I was able to do other types of work, like trademark litigation, trademark prosecution, whereas everybody else was kind of in their little area, I was able to expand out because of my prior experience. Uh, I then decided to go more into big law. So I worked for a general practice, Drinker, Biddle, and Wreath at the time. Uh, that was wonderful um, until I, uh, you know, I was working part-time at that point um, and I got pulled into a litigation. And my kids at that point were seven, five, and three. And I was hired to do prosecution, but the partner that hired me was out on another litigation and a, and a Markman brief came in. He said, Elaine, can you work on this? I'm like, oh yeah, I've got experience. I can work on this. Next thing you know, they're adding me pro hoc vice. I'm like, oh no. Next thing you know, it does not settle. It's in the Eastern District of Texas. So I had to fly down and spent four weeks in trial you know, I don't know if, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced a patent litigation trial. This wasn't my area. I was mainly a patent prosecutor. I got pulled into this huge litigation, um, big oil, dealing with uh, some, some major players. And um, I spent four weeks away from my kids and could not fly back. And that, um, that really moved me to try to look for something different. I was actually uh, living in Baltimore and commuting to DC, which also made it difficult. So, I'd like to say I had this great um, reason other than uh, work-life balance, but it really turned into a work-life balance or life-work balance where, number one, I couldn't do that litigation anymore. I couldn't be away from my kids. And number two, I couldn't do that commute to D.C. anymore. I had done it for seven years and, um, you know, it just, it was tiring. So uh, there was a position that opened up at Johns Hopkins uh, Technology Transfer. That was the name of it at the time. They turned the, they, um, changed their name to Tech Ventures. Uh, and I applied for it and, um, I got the job and I was very excited to get that position. And so, so for me, it really was that work-life balance that caused me to make that, that change. So what are some of the main differences between working in a university tech transfer office and working in a law firm? Well, I can say the biggest change and probably, it wouldn't affect me today because it's it's present nowadays because of the pandemics. But the biggest change was the meetings. Like I was having so many meetings. I thought, oh my gosh, we're meeting again. What are we meeting about? And as a lawyer, I was so used to the individual work I was doing as a prosecutor. I was writing application. I was doing, I mean, the litigations had more team meetings, but certainly not to the extent that working in-house did. So that was a big thing. The meetings were a big change. Uh, and also, I went to more of a management role of managing technology. So I managed a portfolio of about 600 technologies. So my um, position was meeting with inventors at the School of Medicine, meeting with the inventors at the Homewood campus. And that's a part of the position I thoroughly enjoy, developing relationships. Um, another aspect was the uh, startup aspect of, of the fast forward program within Johns Hopkins. And so I was learning about pitches and pitch decks and startups and who you need. And so it was giving me another skill set 
that I didn't have. And also whether, you know, making that decision internally, do we move forward with this technology? Do we have a, a industry or, or partner who's going to license it? So it did teach me a lot of different skills I wasn't used to in my, in my patent practice. So Elaine, you're extremely dedicated to improving diversity in the field of patent law, and you hold a number of diversity leadership roles, both within your firm as well as in a number of outside organizations. So I wanted to spend the remainder of this podcast talking about diversity and inclusion in patent law. So I thought a good place to start off would be by asking you about your own firm, Herity and Herity. And Herity's diversity mission is to promote and nurture a respectful, highly engaged, family-friendly, and inclusive culture that values the diversity of your very talented team by leveraging and learning from your team's diverse backgrounds, their experiences, perspectives, skills, talents, and capabilities. And another thing that's very interesting about Herity is you're committed to the Rooney Rule 2.0, which is a hiring policy that you pioneered that demonstrates your firm's commitment to your diversity mission and simply isn't just lip service. So for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Rooney Rule 2.0, can you tell us more about it and how your firm even takes it a little bit further than maybe expected? So uh, for those of you who don't know what the Rooney Rule, Rooney Rule is, um, the original Rooney Rule, that was based out of an NFL program to improve uh, diversity with regard to head, head coach positions. Um, and so the Rooney Rule essentially requires that at least one minority candidate be considered for a head coach position. So you could have a pool of 1,000 applicants and only be required to interview one minority head coach. And so we felt like that wasn't really doing much. And so uh, we amplified the original Rooney Rule and made it the Rooney Rule 2.0. And so for every white male candidate, we will interview one-to-one, one diverse candidate. And so it's been really effective within our firm because when we generated that program, we had, I think our diversity was about 8% and it's improved to about 30% now. So certainly had, in addition to the other things we've done internally an impact with regard to our, our numbers. Yeah, that's very impressive. And so how would you say the Rooney rule is different from the Mansfield rule? So the Mansfield rule, um, which was developed by Diversity Labs, tries to increase the percentage of equity partners or diverse candidates in equity partner positions or leadership roles. So they're trying to shoot for 30% equity partners or, or, or um, attorneys in leadership role. So theirs is more of a, I think, an impetus for firms to implement and raise uh, people up into these leadership roles where we're trying to expand the pool at the get-go because we know that patent law is one of the least diverse professions there is. So um, again, for our firm, we had to in- increase the number at at the beginning part at the um, at our basic level so that we could move them up to leadership. But we can't move if we don't have thirty percent diverse attorneys to start, we can't, we certainly can't move them up to the Mansfield rule. So that's kind of the second, a second part. We start with the, we had to improve our base level before we moved up and decide, you know, moving people up into leadership roles. Well, real quick, before we get off the Rooney rule and the Mansfield rule, I don't know if you heard, Elaine, there's an open coaching position at the Boston Celtics and two of the lead (laughs) candidates are Becky Hammond and Kara Lawson. So I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, Who would have thought that We'd be at a point that 
two women could be considered for a head coaching position in the, the NBA. And, and that's awesome. And one thing I also will say is that when they say you have, when you have two diverse candidates for one position, it's more likely it will be filled by a diverse candidate versus just having one. So there's research on that. So that's encouraging to hear here. Absolutely. So Elaine, just switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask your thoughts about the heavy stick approach that was suggested by the general counsel of Coca-Cola and he's not there anymore, but um, there have some, been some other companies who have suggested a similar approach, which is basically they are talking about actively punishing firms that don't meet certain diversity requirements. Do you think this is helpful and that this will actually be successful in moving the needle forward in terms of diversity? So we don't think that the heavy stick approach will be effective, um, punishing firms for not meeting a required uh, diversity number. The problem with Coca-Cola, and and just so you know, that that their um, program is no longer implemented. The new GC who took over Bradley, um, I forget his last name. Yeah, I forget what it is too, but yeah, he left and then, um, yeah, they've put it on pause, I think is what they've said. But I know there are some other companies that are talking about similar punishments. Yes, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I don't think the punishments are going to be effective and nor do I think that they're fair because there, if if you're familiar with the numbers from the MCCA Vault Diversity Report, um, what what um, the former GC at Coca Cola was suggesting is that 30% of the cases be worked on by Black attorneys, whereas there are only, I believe, 9% of Black attorneys in the field. So. Um, what we'd love to see firms do and what we've been trying to do within our firm is help bring more diverse candidates into the field of law and for us to bring more diverse candidates into the field of patent law that requires the hard science engineering background. But what are firms doing other than trying to meet these numbers and, you know, the, the firms are hiring people and and trying to move them up and it's it's gamemanship and we have a fixed number of diverse candidates versus big picture. Like, let's bring, let's get, let's engage our communities to bring more diverse candidates into law. What, what are you doing? What innovative programs or what, what giving back are you doing to make sure that we hit the big picture? Because not all firms are going to be able to meet that number. And it's, it's just, it's just not fair. No, I completely agree. And I feel like it's a temporary, like you said, gamesmanship, and it's really not getting to the heart of the problem and getting more diverse people into to law, let alone patent law. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the efforts that your firm is doing in that regard very shortly here. So um, going back to your firm, actually, I wanted to ask, you have a very rigorous hiring process, which includes some skill-based testing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your hiring process and how actually this very rigorous process removes the likelihood of bias? Well, the first thing I want to talk about with regard to our hiring process is making sure that we've worded our advertisement correctly. We want to make sure that we're using words that are attracting diverse candidates, using words like inclusive. Um, For me, when I uh, left uh, tech transfer to go back into private practice, it was the, the ad read flexible, reduced hour, remote work. And that was remote work before, before the pandemic. COVID, yeah. Yeah, so for me, again, a change was made because of flexibility and they offered a position that I could do fully from home. So I think if you word your advertisement correctly, number one, 
that's important to attracting diverse candidates. Uh, number two, we actually, you know, we, we had discussed the Rooney Rule 2.0. That's an important feature of our hiring process. Um, but we do administer this writing test. And what we found and what we wanted to make sure we, we didn't run into was any kind of biases our evaluators may have had. So we now assign an anonymous identifier so that the evaluators don't know who wrote this particular, who whose writing sample this was. Uh, and so that, that's been really helpful to make sure that we're eval evaluating people individually. We also have a top grading interview process where our interviewers ask the same exact questions based on their experiences. We don't um, hire people based on their feel or a good fit. We hire them based on their qualities. So those are kind of some key factors that we've used to help with regard to our hiring process. Yeah, I think those are all excellent. Heritage acknowledged that because of your high standards for quality, that this limits the overall pool of eligible candidates and that there just isn't enough diverse individuals that exist in that pool in the first place. So to fix the root cause of this problem, which is the lack of diversity in the legal profession, it's going to require a long-term approach that's going to be measured in years, not months or days. So can you tell us about some of the factors that contribute to this overall problem of the, the fact that there isn't a, a large pool of eligible candidates to begin with? So um, in the patent field, uh, there's a required hard science or engineering degree. And so uh, we have an analytics department within our firm. And so we wanted to run the numbers with regard to diversity of the patent bar in certain technology areas. So Heritage is a firm that does strictly patent prosecution in the electromechanical arts. And so we knew, I mean, anecdotally, you know, if you're in the patent profession, that my friends that were female were typically in the biotech space. There weren't a lot of women. For me, I have a mechanical engineering background. There weren't a lot of women like me. Uh, case in point, when I was at University of Maryland, there was three women in our freshman engineering class and swarms, swarms, swarms of men. So uh, we know, and we did this paper for the ABA with regard to our particular field that shows that women are only about 11% in the computer science uh, electromechanical area, 11% uh, of the registered patent bar. And racially diverse candidates, I believe in that field, are about 7 or 8%. In the biotech space, women are up to um, close to parity, actually. They're about 40%, but racially diverse candidates are about 4%. So, uh, you know, knowing this problem within, within our profession and specifically how it relates to our firm, we, we kind of took a step back and said, what can we do to make a difference? And so, uh, number one, we started at... Um, providing skills training for diverse candidates with regard to our Heritage Academy. Um, so we are focusing on uh, diverse candidates are interested in the patent law field, and we're actually targeting diverse engineers to take this program to get them interested um, in the field of patent law. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I didn't learn about patent law until a family friend suggested it to me. He asked me what I wanted to do. I was a, a junior or senior in high school. He asked me what I wanted to do. I said, well, I'm probably being, going to engineering. I'm good at math and science, and my dad's an engineer, but I really love the law. He says, oh, you should go into patent law because it requires both. Not, you know, Everyone has a, a, a different way in how they were introduced to patent law. So we want to provide 
information to diverse candidates to get them interested in the field of patent law and try to hit them. They've already chosen engineering and try to hit them at that point. Um, so we also have a women's workshop that we hold in May. And so that we just held one. It was wonderful. Uh, we have a lot of uh, speakers from uh, successful women in the field. Uh, we had a regional director this year from the PTO. Um, and it was a group of about 40 women. And again, it's to provide that support structure for the women who want to go into patent law. And I don't know for you if it was difficult, Lisa, when you first was entering the field, having information about the field. It was really difficult. I entered around the same time you did, and um, it was it was very challenging. And for a long time, I was the only female in my firm. I was in a small IP boutique as well, which was challenging. But there was no information, and there were no mentorship programs or anything like that. So, um, yes, it, it was very, very hard. And diversity was not even discussed. Never, ever. Never. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't acknowledged or an issue. So it's, it's interesting to see how far we've come and how far we still need to go. Um, I, I do want to say also another program that we recently developed. Um, one thing we were finding, we, we still don't have a lot of women in Heritage. And so if you look at our website, it's me and the partner ranks. There's none in the council ranks and we have a few in the associate ranks. So I went to John Harity and I said, this has to change. Why are we not having more women? I want more women here. And, you know, we looked at our writing tests and we saw that uh, for some reason we, we weren't seeing, first of all, there weren't a lot of women applying, number one. Sure, we had yeah. very low levels of women applying. And the ones that did, they were having a hard time passing the writing test. So what we've are a new program that we're implementing within Heritage is to we're hiring a technical writer and coach for the women that have not passed to train them to help them pass and continue in the interview. That's process. fantastic. That's that's really innovative and creative too. I applaud you for that. That's that's great. We're very excited. I'm personally very excited about that program to have some more females within our within our field because there there are there are a that's very small pool, um, but again, it's helping to give them the skills training that they need to help them excel in their profession. And so uh, that's another one. We have a couple more programs on the horizon as well, and I'd be happy to share those with you. Absolutely. So we have a, a new program called Patent Pathways um, in our study and MCCA study. And there's been articles about this through the ABA as well, that um, Black female engineers or Black female attorneys are, uh, because of this intersectionality issue, um, are the least represented group in the patent bar. And so we actually felt like that is something that we could change concretely. And so our goal, and through this new Patent Pathways program, is to register 20 Black female engineers per year to the patent bar, engage them, get them interested in a career, have sponsors help pay and study for the patent bar, and then have a mentorship program to bring them into the field. So we're very excited about that that new program, and we'll expand it out, but we really wanted to address Black female engineers to start. That's amazing. That's incredible. So is that starting this fall or is that starting this summer? We're hoping it's going to start um, 
I believe probably early 2022, but right now we're reaching out to sponsors, sure, uh, through corporations to get the sponsorship required to to help the candidates sit for the patent bar as well as provide that mentorship program. We want to, you know, as you know, Lisa, it's about relationship building, and totally. we want to make sure that we help them build their relationship and their network, which is also important in all the programs we provide. We're realizing this networking aspect and this mentorship as well is important for these candidates to feel connected to our to our profession. Yeah, that that sounds like an amazing program. We're going to have to have you back on next year and and hear more <laughs> about how the first iteration of the, that program went. And I think Absolutely. you have a couple other programs too. You have a minority incubator program as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? The, the purpose of this program is when you look at the numbers with regard to equity partner positions for diverse candidates, women, and including racially diverse partners, you see the numbers are pretty pathetic. And that's just for general practice of law. Um, for the patent bar, we don't really know what those numbers look like, but we know that they're probably pretty pathetic. So we felt like the, the needle wasn't moving quickly enough when we said, hey, you know, what can we do differently? Um, and so John and Paul Herity started Herity and Herity 20 years ago. They know everything about running a firm and growing a firm and providing excellent services. So this is, again, this is an idea from John. John came up with this idea and we all thought he was crazy when we first came up with it. We're going to make our own competition. Like, what are you talking about? But he said, I have this idea that we would bring on um, a diverse candidate and train them and help them launch their own firm. And so we brought in our first candidate last year, James Bennon, and um, I'm happy to say that he launched his own uh, Black-owned, quality-driven patent law firm uh, last week. Uh, we flew down to Orlando on last Wednesday for the opening day. We surprised him. <laughs> he was so grateful and thankful. And now we have another patent firm, a Black-owned IP boutique um, that's been launched. And so Again, we're hoping to make a bigger impact. Um, we have now modified that program to have a training program for minority firms. This is a minority firm incubator 2.0. So we found like, okay, we helped James launch, James launch his firm. It took a long time. We're still going to be providing him resources. This is kind of an ongoing mentorship. We're helping him develop his client base. We've got a lot of sign-ons for him. But like, how can we make a bigger impact. Um, so we're now launching this Minority Firm Incubator 2.0 where we're providing the skills that we've given James um, in this 42-week program, opening up to, I believe, eight um, either existing minority-owned firms or people who want to start their own firm. So they'll take this 42-week program taught by John and Paul and the rest of us as well about how to launch a successful IP boutique. And so we're really excited about that. And, you know, part of the program is that they'll pitch to in-house uh, counsel at various large corporations. We've got some sign-on from Verizon and some others as well. Again, developing those relationships with a potential client for uh, companies like Verizon who have a wonderful diversity program um, who are interested in supporting the cause. So we're really, really excited about that program coming up probably uh, next year. Well, congratulations. That That's an incredible story. And, and I look forward to hearing more about uh, version 2.0 of the incubator program. Um, and you also have a diversity channel. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that as well? 
So yes, we launched the diversity channel this year. And so our diversity channel is about uh, talking about um, moving the efforts with regard to diversity in the patent bar. So we thought we could do that through weekly vlogs. So we have a weekly vlog about a diversity issue. Uh, it can relate to the patent field or the legal field in general. Uh, and then we hold quarterly webinars about specific topics related to diversity and patent law. And so we have one coming up tomorrow, actually, which is a, a diversity in innovation, which is also a hot topic and important as well. And we'll have industry leaders talking about how to improve and make sure that your diverse inventors are being recognized and they understand the invention process. So what do I do? How do I get my ideas? Are my ideas worth being submitted? Uh, so that's, again, as you know, this is a, another hot topic in our area and one that's really dire to the success of, of our economy. Absolutely. So, Elaine, we've been talking about all these amazing programs, diversity programs that Heritage has and has implemented. And obviously, this requires a lot of time and effort. And, and your firm is 36 attorneys. So I'm, I'm curious, how, does you, how do you guys logistically manage and handle all these programs? Uh, one thing I'm really proud to say, well, first of all, we have a committed diversity uh, committee. You must, and yeah. And we, we, we meet every week. And an essential component of that is that the former managing partner, John Herity, was chair before I, I joined Herity. So now we're co-chair. So having buy-in power from management is essential. Absolutely. And so we're able to move forward on these programs rather quickly. Um, one thing I can say that's amazing is that even though our firm is pretty small, every single attorney within our firm agreed to be a mentor, to participate in the Herity Academy. Everybody wants to get back. And that's kind of the culture of our firm. They, that's part of our interview process. They make sure they hire people that want to get back and contribute. So uh, it's been wonderful for us. We have, you know, our diversity committee has about eight or nine people. And then, for example, for the Patent Pathways Program, we had a subcommittee off of that of another maybe six or seven people that developed that program and brought it back to our diversity committee because we're committed on this front. I mean, our firm is committed. So we've really leveraged our diversity committee to include the firm. And because it's so important to our firm's mission, um, we have engagement by everybody. Yeah. And that's that's really the key, because if you don't have firm support and you don't have engagement of the firm and the attorneys, it, it's, you know, you end up with just a few people doing it and, and you just can't carry on, especially this level of program. So congratulations. That's really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's really amazing. So, Elaine, as we were just talking, your firm, it's not huge. It's 36 attorneys. Do you have any tips or suggestions for smaller firms, maybe IP boutique firms that might be struggling on developing diversity and inclusion procedures, standards, and programs, and maybe thinking about how and where to even begin? Absolutely. So I would say if they're concerned about their internal programs, a great resource is something uh, out of IPO. It's a practical toolkit, and you can find it on IPO's website, Intellectual Property Owners Association's website. So that can give you kind of the basic tools and issues that you need to be aware about. So those are for the internal programs. For the external programs, I would say your size doesn't really matter. I mean, you can develop a program. In fact, being a smaller firm, you can get probably buy-in quicker and you can develop your programs quicker. You don't have to convince as many people. 
So I would say, and we did, and I, at least I don't know if I told you this, but when I joined Heredy back in 2017, we had 14 attorneys. Oh, wow. So we were very small. Very small. Yeah, we were, and we've grown tremendously. And um, we had programs. We had our women's workshop. We had a diversity workshop and uh, it, it changed into a women's workshop. And we had a fellowship. There were programs that we did internally even before I got there. So there's definitely things that you can do with regard to external programs. And what, what I'm finding with the external programs is that a lot of attorneys who are participating are getting so much out of them. I mean, just to see how you're impacting the attendees' lives, the participants' lives, and how grateful they are for that resource, you know, with any kind of giving back effort, selfishly, it makes you feel better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think big or small, I think um, there's, everybody has extra time. We think we don't have extra time, but we do have time to work on things that are important. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Just switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you in March, um, USPTO came out with an effort. They actually published a federal register notice on some proposed changes to patent bar eligibility to help address low gender diversity um, I was curious what your thoughts were on those proposed changes and whether or not you thought they might help. Oh, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. So I absolutely believe that uh, there's a category A and category B uh, degrees and category A allows you to automatically sit for the patent board. Category B, you have to get a different approval process. Right. Um, there's a list of category Bs they want to include in category A. I 100% agree that we should include them. There are other categories that have been historically excluded that I think should be included. And some of them relate to mathematics. I feel like that's a degree and, and, and degrees in data science, I think, are important when we see the artificial intelligence and machine learning exactly. and programs, for, you know, inventions related to those technologies. Absolutely. I think someone with a mathematics degree could do well in our field. Uh, there are probably some other areas in genomics that that could be included, uh, but again, biotech is not my area, so I would leave it to the people who practice in those areas to suggest them as well. So this is kind of the first step for the patent office, and I know there's going to be some revisions uh, to the categories as well as maybe a different procedure. But I think this is a this is a kind of the first step to say, hey, could category Bs be included and what other degrees can be included? And I think they're gonna make a change and then ask for additional remarks. So if anyone wants to get involved and you think there's another degree that should be included, we'd love to have the feedback as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a great first step by the patent office and, and I think they are gonna come back, uh, revise the categories and come back and look for more comments. But I think it's long time overdue and and I'm encouraged that this is gonna be, be helpful for um, increasing some of the gender diversity. Absolutely. So Elaine, I wanted to close the podcast by asking you, what's the one action step that you think patent professionals can take today to improve diversity for the patent bar? I would say for individuals, for them to look for a program to be involved in. There are external programs that, whether through your firm, through other firms, or through trade organizations to be a part of. Join a committee um, give join a mentoring group. There are other nonprofits related to providing mentoring for those in STEM. 
girls who code, whatever it may be, one action step is to reach out and actually commit to do doing something that's going to help move the needle and increase diversity in the patent bar. And it's it's a huge range of what is possible. Well, Elaine, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? So you can reach me um, through LinkedIn or you can reach me uh, through my email, eSpectre at HarityLLP.com or through our website, HarityLLP.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again, Elaine. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.